Welcome, I'm your host, Greg McEwen. I'm the author of two New York Times bestsellers, Effortless and Essentialism. And I'm here with you on this journey to learn how to live a life that really matters. Today, we will share this new habit of highly effective people with you, along with actionable advice for putting it into practice. By the end of this episode, you will be able to lead better, whether you are the CEO or the CEO of your own life. Let's begin. Remember to teach the ideas in this podcast episode to someone else within 24 to 48 hours of listening so they can hope again. This episode is sponsored by Shopify, selling a little or a lot. (coughs) Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. So whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person point-of-sale system, whenever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. So sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, which is your AI-powered all-star. In my experience with every business that I have built, including this podcast, there are breakthrough moments, and those moments are often the result of finding the right partner. And I think that's a way to think about Shopify, because no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash greg, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash greg now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash greg. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It seems to me that for a lot of people, it's a bit like living in a matrix, you know, like the movie, I mean, that they're just doing what they've done. And even the idea of questioning it is uncomfortable to the level of unthinkable. And and I say this as somebody who's raised in England and a tendency within me to just 
And I don't mean rudely, but just to sort of question everything and, and just imagine a completely different way of being and living. And I remember how people would sometimes look at me <laughs> in my life or the things they might say like, well, well why, why do you want to do that? Why, why would you want to do it differently? And, and I didn't always have a great answer for them. But it seems like just even having exposure to what would happen if we didn't have to try and control the outcome or didn't have to just live within the existing system, but could work on the system. I know that you have run an interesting experiment around this, the failure exercise that you'll put students and executives through uh, to help them to be able to take more action and be willing to experiment with their agency. Can you tell us more about that fascinating exercise? Yeah, that's right. So it can be tempting when you're in a classroom, when you're reading a book to just sort of intellectualize things and go, oh yeah, that, that's important. I should fail. That, that seems important to me in order to be able to lead change. And so after a two hour lecture where we've done some case studies, where we've looked at empirical social science research, um, looked at one inspirational video, then at that point I go, okay, now there's only one thing left to do. And that's simply and then I flash up two words on a, on a screen and it says, go fail. And students and executives sort of look around at each other. <laughs> they sort of <laughs> laugh nervously and they're kind of wondering, is this guy for real? And I go, yeah, I'm for real. I go to the next slide and it says, okay, you have 10 minutes and you have to go leave the classroom and you have to go get rejected on purpose. You have to go ask for something and get someone to tell you no to your face and you can't come mm. back until you've gotten that no. And the nervous laughter shifts to a somatic response. I start seeing people turning red. Students and executives tell me that their hearts start beating a little bit faster. They're sweating a little bit, but I go, okay, you've got 10 minutes. Let's go do this. And so they nervously shuffle out of the classroom. And then when they come back, the energy is just off the charts, so much so that I once had a next door professor come by and ask us to keep the noise down. Because in those 10 minutes, something really profound has happened. We, especially high achievers, spend so much of our life thinking about how can we minimize risk? How can we minimize the chance that we will fail or get rejected? We become so good at taking the preordained path, the safe path, the path where we know that, okay, if we follow step A, B, C, D, well, we get to the end, we'll get a nice little recognition. And in those 10 minutes, I want to shake that up for people completely. And so when the executives come back to the room, um, there's two stories that are most common. About one third of people, they go out and they are positive that they are going to get a rejection. And to their surprise and delight, they get a yes. They ask for something they think is so ridiculous, but someone actually agrees to it. Like what? I think, for instance, about the woman that walked into the gym and she said, got on the PA system, said, hi, it's not my birthday, but would you all sing happy birthday to me? And she got a gym of 60, 70 people to all sing happy birthday in unison to her on a day which was not her birthday. Mm -hmm. I think about the student who went to the local cafe and she asked for a free orange juice. And to her surprise, the uh, barista said, yeah, okay, and gave her one. She was kind of shocked <laughs> because she expected mm -hmm. she'd get a no and knew she mm -hmm. couldn't come back until she got a, a no. So she said, mm -hmm. uh, okay, um, can I have another one? And again, he said, yeah, okay. And it was only when she asked for the third that she finally got her no, but she came back to the classroom with two orange juices. That's fascinating. What, are, what other examples? I'm loving these stories. 
It was a rainy day in Berkeley and a student walked out without an umbrella, found another guy, complete stranger and said, Hey, um, I don't have an umbrella with me. My other class is about 15 minutes across campus. Um, would you walk me to campus? And the guy, again, to his shock and delight said, yeah, a complete stranger was willing to spend 30 minutes just to help out a stranger because that person had the courage to put themselves out there, the agency to ask for something that they wanted. And when that's reciprocated, that's a really powerful thing because we so often set ourselves up for failure because we're sure we'll get rejected. And so we don't even ask in the first place when, again, the empirical data in my class show about one third of the time, even on ridiculous asks, like singing happy birthday or walking someone across campus, we actually get that yes. What, what other examples do you have of people that got yeses when they thought they'd get no? I've got a whole bunch of them. We had the student who went up to a woman and said, I love your shoes. Could I try those on? And again, she thought this was a super safe bet because who would let someone wear shoes? But I guess with the compliment, uh, the woman said, yeah, okay, you can try on my shoes, leaving my student to sort of feel uncomfortable being like, do I, do I actually want to do that after all? I'm not, I'm not sure about that one. Um, and then there was the student who there's some construction going on on campus and went up to someone uh, conducting or working with a, a bulldozer and said, hey, you know, I've always wanted to drive a bulldozer. Could, could I drive that? And to uh, my relief as the faculty member sort of in charge of their safety, the person said no, um, but it led to a conversation and the person got to actually kind of jump up on board on the bulldozer, take a look at it, not drive it, but at least got part of the way there. We had students ask for, I mean, for numbers, for Snapchats, for Instagram and get yeses. We had one student who went out asking for uh, $5 donations to a favorite charity. And he came back with, I think, $30. He had six people that decided to donate. Then one I encouraged uh, because he came back so quickly. He got it very quick. No, he asked for like a million dollars. He said, okay, but like, that's not that hard of an ask. A lot of people say no to a million dollars. Here's what I want you to try. Go around and ask people to act like their favorite animal. So if it's a grizzly bear, act like a grizzly bear. If it's a pig, get down on the ground and oink like a pig. And so he got probably five or six different people to all act like animals uh, in the courtyard. Hmm. I, I can't get enough of these examples because it's really interesting to experiment with what you assume will happen, but you never risk asking for, you never risk the interaction. And so you're living in a world that does not operate the way you think it operates because you're never actually interacting with it. You're just going along, not wanting to get out of the stream or change what is normal for you. So then sometimes you have, of course, the whole point of the exercise, which is to do something where you actually get a fail right now. Tell us more about what happens in that scenario. So in that case, again, we take high-achieving executives, high-achieving students who are used to getting a lot of what they want, perhaps because they tend to play it a bit safe. Uh, but so they'll ask for something. And again, they tell me afterwards that they're sure that someone will laugh at them or mock them or get angry at them. But in most cases, they just get a, a no, just a rejection. You know, the student who asks someone, hey, could I have a drive to this other part of, of town? And the person kind of thinks about it and they go, oh, no, I, I don't think so. And that's it. That's the end of the interaction right there. It's not painful. It's not nearly as painful as we set our uh, rejection out to be in our head when it happens. And as change makers, if you're going to lead any type of meaningful change, you're going to fail so many times along the way. 
doing anything meaningful, whether that's starting a new organization, leading a change initiative at work on digital transformation, or doing something like you and I both have, writing a book, it's filled with rejection. And so the mark of a change maker isn't whether or not you get rejected, because to be sure, if you're going to do something that's pushing the status quo, you will get rejected. So Samuelson and Zeckhauser have done great work on the status quo bias. So we know that people tend to overvalue the things they already have. They don't like to shake up the status quo. But the more comfortable we can get with it, it becomes like a muscle. Once you've gotten your first, second, third rejection, then you go on a path where the 78th and 79th rejection feel a lot less painful. And we know this in service of a greater purpose on the other end. Yes, I think this ability to get comfortable with making asymmetric bets, that is bets that have low downside, but potentially really high upside. So by definition, they're very low risk experiments and bets to play. This ability to get comfortable with that, to reduce the cost of getting a rejection. You know, the major cost of rejection is the emotional cost it's the embarrassment you feel or the or the th- or the fear that you think you would feel terrible and ashamed if this thing didn't happen but then if you actually experiment with it you find yourself well i i didn't die none of these executives that you had go out and get rejected actually died in fact what <laughs> they experienced was the opposite sensation that they feel excited exuberant there's an energy flow that comes into them and it reminds me of a video series, a YouTube series that my son has been watching and has been really inspired by. In a sense, it's a a strange uh, undertaking. Uh, It doesn't sound like some great academic insight or something like that, but but Mr. Beast has challenged this individual. I think his name is Ryan Trahan. And his whole thing is, can I get across America within 30 days, starting with no money? Well, starting, I think, with literally one penny. I think that's the situation. And so he has this huge journey and he can be reset so he can start earning money and then for various ways by people simply making a donation to Feeding America, he will suddenly go back to zero. He has to give away his money and again back to zero, has to raise the money. And of course, you're seeing this in a single day so that he has to raise enough money to be able to stay at a hotel that night mm. or, or whatever he has to do. And so what you get to see, and you wouldn't normally get to see something like this, is somebody who is starting from zero to $100 again and again and again. It's a brilliant insight into these asymmetric bets. And all he really does is a few simple things to get this going. He'll ask somebody to give him a bottle of water. Okay, now he has a bottle of water. (laughs) Then he'll try to sell that for $1. Now he's got a dollar. If he can get If he can go and buy two bottles of water for that dollar, now he has $2. And he just repeats, repeats, repeats until eventually he has $30 or $50. And then he can buy something else with that money. He can buy a bike. And then he can start delivering with that bike. Uh, And and so he can earn money from that process. But underneath all of it, what I think you're seeing, although it's very entertaining, is someone who is comfortable with change, who is bringing about change, who has a very high sense of their agency as it relates to going from zero dollars to a hundred or two hundred a thousand dollars. And to be able to watch that experiment is really quite a scientific type process that we're seeing. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but what the effect of it has been for my son is 
his sense of agency has increased. Mm. He actually, at first, he's like, I'm doing this. You know, like, I <laughs> want to actually go and try this experiment. And he did. He spent a, sort of a couple of days doing this, actually getting water and, and, and buying it and selling it and, and learning how would I earn money. And beyond that, of course, it increases your sense of initiative, the power mm. that's in you. You don't just have to wait for somebody to offer you something. You don't have to wait to get a, some amazingly a job is going to land in your lap. No, you are going to go and do it. You go have the awkward conversation because what is the worst that can happen is that you can be rejected. And once you've experienced that enough times, you go, that is nothing. That is something that in fact is either neutral or can even be inspiring. What's your reaction to all of that? Oh, I love it. What you talk about reminds me of the story of Demi Skipper, who's a TikToker who traded her way from a single bobby pin into a house. And so again, there's magic, what you're talking about, magic at the margins. With each individual trade, you just get a little more margin, uh, all because of that sense of agency. And then that margin pays off time over time over time. And as I think about taking those risks, you know, you always think about what's the, the downside, right? So, you know, if someone says no, someone rejects the water bottle sale, whatever. Um, but we often forget about is the power of agency in the margins. So it's something I experienced myself. So as a first-time author, I had the experience to reach out to a couple of authors whom I deeply admire, authors whose work has shaped my own, uh, asking them if they might be kind enough to write an endorsement for the book. And as I did, you know, that's a, a risk putting yourself out there. Um, but the way I sort of calculated it was at the very worst, if all they do is read my email and ignore me, they will know that I was deeply touched by their work and that they inspired me to become an author. And if that's the worst that happens, well, how could I not take that chance? How could I not write that email? You know, it connects me back to the idea that Brene Brown talks about. She says that we often see vulnerability as courage in someone else, but weakness in ourselves. And so sometimes when we think about agency, we think it has to be courage all the time, that we are just super courageous. But in the example of Mr. Beast and Demi Skipper, you know, we can think about it on that micro level. That's just little moments of courage, little moments of vulnerability where the potential upside is there and we take that risk, we take that chance. And then we parlay it time after time after time after time. And we look back, some pretty amazing things have happened. Beyond what we've already talked about, help me to turn this into an actionable practice that people listening to this can incorporate on a regular basis so that this isn't just the concept of agency and the practice of going out and failing in small ways. How can this be implemented into a team? If there's a, a CEO listening to this, uh, he wants to apply in his team, there's a CEO and she wants to be able to implement it in an organization, somebody wants to do it in their family, how would you suggest they do it? What's the one best practice for how to begin? So Greg, you and I connect around our shared love of ritual. So let me suggest a ritual for your community to try out. It's two questions you ask each week in a weekly team meeting. The first question is, what was your win of the week? What's something you did which brought us collectively closer to our shared goals? When we lead change, it can feel so overwhelming to think about the big scale we want to get to, but let's make sure that we know how all of our collective little victories add up to something really substantive. The second question to ask is, how did you fail this week? 
asking people how they failed as part of the regular routine normalizes the fact that we want people to question the status quo, to have a sense of agency, to try things out. And it creates psychological safety because people know that not only is it okay to fail, it's expected to fail as long as it's in service of trying something bigger, of trying to lead and shape change. So my suggestion is each week, ask these two essential questions to your team. What was your win of the week? And how did you feel forward this week? I love that idea of not just normalizing failure, but celebrating it, expecting it, getting to the point, I suppose, where one could be disappointed if there hasn't been a fail of some kind. Exactly but, right. It becomes clear that if someone week after week either doesn't have a failure or the failures are very safe and very marginal, then you can actually have a talk with them and say, hey, I want you to think bigger. I want you to fail bigger because that's what our team needs right now. There's some evidence to support the idea that the only time learning takes place is when we experience expectation failure, that that is the portion of life's experience that we're learning. The rest of the time, you're just repeating and so there's no need to update one's mindset, update a worldview or the complexity about how the world actually works. It's in failure that we have to do the updates. And so pushing and challenging our experience in life deliberately to experience failures seems to be absolutely necessary if we want to learn. And surely that is deeply entrenched in what it means to have a meaningful life or indeed to become a change maker. Alex, thank you for being on the podcast. Greg, thank you for having me. If you have found value in this episode, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. The first five people to write a review of this episode will receive year-long access to the Essentialism Academy. Just send a photo of your review to info at gregmcewen.com. Also, do yourself a favor and subscribe to the podcast so that you can receive these episodes on Tuesdays and Thursdays effortlessly. The book Effortless and Essentialism Together are designed as a formula to be able to help you to not only know that your most important work is always ahead of you, but to be able to do that most important work that is always ahead of you. We'll continue the conversation next time. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's going to push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, 
and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.